For our last section session, I'd like to uh, present some of the uh, uh, differences between the Galuk and the non-Galuk assertions uh, concerning uh, the ultimate or deepest view of voidness. Uh, these we find discussed uh, quite extensively in Lamrim Chemo, Tsongkhapa's grand presentation of the stages of the path in his Vipassana section. So, just because the existence of conventional phenomenon can be established, can only be established merely by the fact that they are the referent objects of mental labeling and designation, that doesn't mean that mental labeling and designation both of which are conceptual processes, create all conventional phenomenon as conceptual mental fabrications or collection mental syntheses. This is what uh, the, uh, some of the earlier masters had uh, asserted. In other words, just because we can only establish the existence of something in terms of uh, conceptual cognition doesn't mean that conceptual cognition creates them. This is why I uh, put a big emphasis in the beginning of understanding that there's a difference between a way of establishing the existence of something and a way of something existing. Our common sense objects don't merely exist in conceptual uh, thought, but we can only establish their existence because of conceptual thought or through conceptual thought. So Which we can think about them. And it's not that we can think about them, it's that our conceptual process refers to these things. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. The, we establish the, we establish the existence of things. How do I phrase that? It's not that just because I can think about something that it establishes its existence. But what we're saying is that uh, we can establish the existence of things as merely the, what our thought refers to. Right? When that's misunderstood, we think that everything just exists in your head, conceptually. Okay. You see, you're establishing the existence of something indirectly when we talk about... Uh, establishing it in terms of uh, mental labeling and designation. We're not establishing it as others, uh, 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 as the Svetantrika says, that uh, it exists because you can see it. That's not the case. Because uh, what appears in uh, non-conceptual uh, sensory perception also appears to be truly established. This is a, another unique view of uh, Tsongkhapa because actual common sense objects appear in, in, uh, non in sensory cognition. Just because we see something doesn't establish that it exists because we also see an appearance of, truly, of everything as being truly established. But that doesn't prove that uh, uh, it exists as it appears. Previous masters were mostly false aspectarians. So you see only colored shapes or pixels they are not this or that whole common sense object. So they don't truly 
because there's the, ob the whole objects don't appear in sensory cognition, then obviously they don't appear to be truly existent because they don't appear at all. So in uh, the earlier masters say that uh, an appearance of truly established existence is only in conceptual cognition. And uh, Tsongkhaba says because you can see common sense objects, it also appears in sensory cognition. This is a very unique point of Tsongkhaba. All right, so this is this whole conversation about or discussion about whether conventionally existent whole objects can be known non, you know, through sensory cognition, non-conceptually. Tsongkhaba says yes, the others before him said no, only as uh, conceptual mental syntheses. So Tsongkhaba says that uh, when uh, For a mind that is still obscured by the habits of grasping for truly established existence, then uh, those habits are going to, uh, uh, in a sense, uh, uh, emanate, give rise to appearances of truly established existence, whether we are perceiving something not, uh, with sensory cognition that's non-conceptual or through conceptual cognition. The only time it doesn't do that is when we have non-conceptual total absorption on voidness. Okay, now we get to the complicated part. So Everything before this was, was easier. Now we get complicated, so hang on. <laughs> Let's hope I can explain it. We need to differentiate the conventional appearance of what something is from the conventional appearance of how it exists. Now we talk about superficial truth and uh, deepest truth. That's usually sometimes called conventional truth and uh, ultimate truth. Ultimate sounds too transcendent. I don't care for that. That's another term anyway. So superficial truth is, uh, you know, literally something that veils something deeper and it is based on convention. So sometimes it's called conventional truth, sometimes called relative truth, but it's hard to see how you derive the word relative from any of the original terms. Okay, so the uh, superficial truth of something is how it appears to a mind that uh, still has the habits of grasping for true existence when they're not totally absorbed on voidness, non-conceptually. Grasping for truly established existence, which you remember in Prasangika means self-established existence is a synonym, not just the way that the earlier schools defined it, has two uh, parts, two aspects to it. And actually, the Svetanchikas would agree as well with their own definition of truly established existence. One is uh, fabricating and, em and emanating uh, an appearance of truly established existence and perceiving it. And the other thing is believing 
that it corresponds to how things actually exist. These are two quite different uh, things, and they both are implied by the Tibetan word, zimba. So uh, it's only when we become a Buddha that our minds stop emanating. This is this word that somebody asked before, prapancha, chuba, that it uh, um, fabricates and emanates an appearance of a truly established existence. So it only stops when you become a Buddha. Mm. Em emanate the appearance or emanate uh, the existence? Emanate the appearance of truly established existence. Mm. But that what is more fittingly to, to be called grasping, uh, in other words, taking it to correspond to reality, this we get rid of before we get rid of making that appearance. We get rid of it when we become liberated being, when we get arhat, when we become an arhat. So first, you get rid of believing that this appearance corresponds to reality, and then only after that, you know, it takes one more countless eon of, of, of building a positive force to get rid of the, the mind projecting it, not projecting it, emanating it. What is the difference between projecting? Because I actually say projecting. Right. Don't use the word projecting. Right. This is the big point here. You can only project onto something. And this is the whole point. There is nothing findable that this appearance is being projected onto. So it's just emanated. You have a, a screen, a movie screen, and you project onto it a movie. Right? An appearance of truly established existence. Well, what's the screen? The screen is referent thing on the side of the object, holding it up. And then you project onto it truly established existence. And this Tsongkhapa refutes. There is nothing holding it up. There is no screen. That's why mental hologram is much more uh, accurate than a projection of a movie on a screen. Okay, so there's a, you know, the mind is emanating the habits, you know, because of these habits of, of uh, uh, perceiving truly established existence and believing that it, that it corresponds to reality. Because of those habits, wham, projects, not projects, emanates this mental hologram, truly established existence, and we believe it. So first you have to stop believing it, right? You can believe it doctrinally based. That takes one countless eon to get rid of. You can believe it uh, automatically arising. It takes the second countless eon to get rid of that. And then the third countless eon to get rid of, of emanating it. Those are your three countless eons. Um. So the, the first eon, we need We get rid of the doctrinally based right, yes. belief that uh, this corresponds to reality, it's that we had to learn that. Mm -hmm. You learned that from the previous tennis systems. Mm -hmm. So superficial truth is 
uh, how it appears to a mind, to a limited mind, put it, th put it that way, limited mind, that is what a sentient being is. Sentient being is someone with a limited mind, Sem Chen, as a Sem, which is a limited mind. And that means that it still has the habits of grasping for truly established existence. Buddha is not a sentient being. Buddha is not a semchen. This is reflected in Dzogchen. They make the difference between sem, a limited mind, and rikpa, pure awareness, which is not a limited mind. Okay. Deepest truth is how it appears to someone non-conceptually focused on voidness. Right? So we can... Uh, What is refuted is that there is a common locus, in other words, a screen that is self-established out there that a limited mind projects onto it an appearance of truly established existence and a mind non-conceptually cognized on voidness projects onto it the absence of that. Voidness. Not like that. There is no screen that is seen differently by a limited mind and an unlimited mind. This is being refuted. It's not that you're sitting over there and uh, with my limited mind, I see you as truly established. And if a Buddha looked at you, it would not, he would not see you as truly established. It's not like that. Although that would be a simplistic understanding of it. But that's not like that. There is no screen that you're projecting, that anyone is projecting any of these things onto. Nothing, because a screen means self-established on its own side. So that's one. Very important, unique point. Yep. Okay, now. Uh, everything has two essential natures. This is the Tibetan word ngol. There's the essential nature of uh, what it is and the essential nature of how it exists. Because of these two essential natures, then uh, uh, there's an appearance of what something is, and there's an appearance of how it exists. And Tsongkhapa asserts uniquely that we have to differentiate these two, because each of them can be, you know, the appearance that's, that is based on it, or the appearance that it is, yeah, I mean, hard to, to actually say that in words, but the, the appearance associated with it. The appearance. The appearance that, uh, you know, I uh, look at this object. So the, uh, I mean, there's a conventional object. It's not just sitting there as a, as a screen. But uh, I see something, and I see uh, uh, 
what's mixed together is an appearance of, of what it is, right, that uh, I can only specify in terms of, you know, a concept and a word, but nevertheless, there's an appearance of what it is and that uh, an appearance of it being truly established is that from its own side. And each of those appearances can be either accurate or inaccurate. And we need to differentiate the two types of uh, appearance, the uh, two aspects of an appearance. The appearance of what it is could be accurate, that it is an organic flower, or it could be inaccurate, that it's a plastic flower. It's I more just touched it. And notice that I couldn't validate which it was, whether it was organic or plastic, by just looking at it. I had to touch it in order to tell. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Make very good plastic replicas of flowers, you know. They last much longer than organic ones. Then, uh, <laughs> and the appearance of how it exists could be accurate or inaccurate. It could appear to be truly established, have truly established existence, or it can appear with not having truly established existence, or rather be a little bit more accurate, it could appear without an appearance of truly established existence, right? The voidness of it would appear. Appear just means arise. It doesn't mean that you can actually see it. Arise where? In our cognition. Yeah. Now, just means happens. It occurs as an object of cognition, right? So now, Tsongkhapa uniquely asserts that, uh, we'll put it the other way around, the masters, the earlier masters that he's refuting assert that you can't distinguish, you can't, you can't separate, like Tsongkhapa does, these two types of essential nature. When there's an appearance of truly established existence, whether the appearance of what it is or uh, is accurate or inaccurate, it doesn't matter. To these earlier masters, it was just one package. And because it's one package, and because the appearance of truly established existence is false, the whole thing is false. So in fact, uh, all you know, conventionalities are false because they all appear to be truly established existence. It doesn't matter whether they are accurate or inaccurate to a uh, mind perceiving conventional truth. A mind perceiving truly established existence. Is it accurate or inaccurate? So truly established organic flower or truly established uh, plastic flower, it doesn't matter. Both are false because uh, it's an appearance of truly established existence. And Tsongkhapa says that, and so both are wrong. You know, both are, you know, nonsense. So just go to the, you know, the deepest to voidness, beyond words, beyond concepts, beyond these things. And Tsongkhapa says, this is over-refutation. Chen. you're refuting too much because you are refuting completely the fact that the distinction between accurate and inaccurate conventional truth. So, he says that uh, we need to uh, distinguish, and we can conceptually distinguish, you know, between the appearance of how it exists and the appearance of what it is. 
So therefore, he says there are two essential natures of everything. So if you assert that there is, you know, a screen, you know, a support, you know, on which conventional and deepest are projected, that is under refutation. That's kept chung. This we project essential natures on it. No, if you think if you that think, there's a yeah. screen, but we project on the screen that we are projecting on natures. the screen. You know, both of these appearances. Appearances. Yeah. Of how it is and how it exists. On what it is and how it exists. Anything that we project on it, both of them. Yeah. If you think that there's a mm -hmm. screen, that's under refutation. You haven't refuted enough. A screen. And if you think, and if you refute everything that you project, that's over refutation. You've refuted too much. There's still valid cognition of you know this being organic and or and uh, um, uh, incorrect, distorted cognition to think that this is plastic, to to see it as plastic, to call it uh, uh, plastic when it's not. So this is very unique of uh, Tsongkhapa. So now. When we say that everything shares the same uh, essential nature, we're referring to the essential nature of how it exists, voidness. So to a, the mind of a Buddha, omniscient mind of a Buddha, conventional truth does not appear. Because conventional truth, I mean, this Tsongkhapa uh, Galupa agrees with the non-Galupas about this. Conventional truth does not appear because conventional truth appears to be truly established. So Buddha doesn't see that. It doesn't appear like that in the Buddha's mind. So what a Buddha is focused on, omniscient awareness is focused on, is just voidness, dharmakaya. Tsongkhapa agrees with the non-galupas here. So what does it mean to see the two truths simultaneously, which no. only a Buddha could do? So here, uh, it's not to see an appearance, you know, an absence of an appearance of true existence, an appearance of true existence simultaneously. Can't be that. So, what, the way that it's explained, Galupa, is that uh, you can conceptually isolate or specify when you focus on voidness, the voidness of voidness and the voidness of conventional phenomena. So because it's the same voidness. All right? We can conceptually isolate you know, the two and talk about the two. All right? The voidness of voidness and the voidness of conceptual phenomena that appear to be truly existent. Conventional phenomena. Yeah. And these voidnesses, of course, are imputations on a basis for labeling. Voidness itself and conventional phenomena. And a Buddha is, be able, is able to focus on that voidness, which you can conceptually isolate as the voidness of both of these uh, uh, truths, uh, 
in which is able to focus on that, in which the that voidness is explicitly apprehended. In other words, it appears in the cognition of a Buddha. So what happens before you're a Buddha? Before we're a Buddha, say we're an Arya, we've had non-conceptual cognition of voidness, total absorption non-conceptually on voidness, only voidness appears. There is no appearance whatsoever of the basis for the voidness, the, ba the, label, the basis for imputation of the voidness. That doesn't mean that there's no basis for imputation. Just doesn't appear. As Sir Rinpoche said, just because, you know, when you see somebody walking on the street past your window when you're on the ground floor and you only see the top part of their body, that doesn't mean that there's no bottom part of the body. It just means that your, your viewpoint is limited. So an Arya's non-conceptual cognition of void, total absorption on voidness is, is limited. Only voidness can appear. And the appearance of, you know, the object itself, the basis, doesn't, it's not even known implicitly. Implicitly means that you know it without uh, it appearing. You know, explicit and implicit. Explicitly, I see this is a flower. Implicitly, it's uh, uh, Explicitly, it's organic. I see that it's organic, but uh, implicitly, I know it's not uh, plastic. Not plastic doesn't appear. You know, the fat man doesn't eat during the day. I can see him not eating during the day. Implicitly, I know that he eats at night because he's fat. That doesn't appear, him <laughs> eating at night. But implicitly, I know it because he's fat. So it, remember, subsequent attainment, what is misleadingly translated as post-meditation, but it's post that total absorption. Immediately after, for the Arya, appearance of truly established existent object appears non-conceptually and implicitly they know that it doesn't exist the way that it appears. It's like an illusion. So voidness they know implicitly. Voidness doesn't actually appear because the object appears to be true, it's an appearance of truly established existence. You can't have simultaneously an, a, a presence of truly established existence and an absence of truly, of the presence of an appearance of truly established existence and the absence of an appearance of truly established existence. So the voidness of truly established existence Uh, it appears in total absorption, non-conceptual total absorption. That's the voidness of both voidness and conventional objects. You have to have the voidness of voidness to get it to go beyond conceptual and non-conceptual. So uh, that's in total absorption. And subsequent attainment, it's only implicitly apprehended, that voidness. So you can't have both the voidness of voidness and the voidness of conventional objects both be manifest, both be 
explicitly apprehended simultaneously. That's what only a Buddhist can do. Uh, so only the Buddha can perceive simultaneously the uh, voidness of conventional objects and? And the voidness of voidness simultaneously. Manifestly. Manifestly. Right. Manifest, in other words, it appears explicitly. Put it simply, either a limited mind can either focus, you know, what will appear explicitly, known explicitly, what appears to a limited mind, an Arya, is either the voidness of voidness or appearance of truly established uh, phenomenon. And when the truly established phenomenon appear, it only knows implicitly that it's like an illusion. It's voidness. So either voidness or truly established existence knowing implicitly that it, the voidness of it, but not the voidness of both explicitly. Only a Buddha has that. So for a Buddha, Buddha focuses only on voidness, but that, and that appears, and that is the voidness of both voidness itself and the voidness of conventional phenomenon that appear to be truly established existence. You don't have to have that appearance there. Buddha is able to focus on the voidness of both of them, which is just the same voidness, but conceptually isolated into the voidness of two different things in which that voidness is explicitly apprehended. It appears. And conventional objects? Conventional objects do not appear. Conventional truth does not appear. We make a distinction. So you have to say conventional truth does not appear, which would be how it appears to, how, but it's not something there that how it appears to. It's not a screen. The appearance that a limited mind emanates is not there because the Buddha's mind doesn't emanate that kind of appearance. Right? Conventional phenomenon are not the conventionally true phenomenon. That's an appearance of a truly established conventional object. Buddha's mind doesn't emanate that. Because Buddha is free of uh, habits of grasping for truly established existence. So, what uh, uh, now, here's the problem with this. Uh, What does a Buddha, you know, what is omniscient aware, you know, a, a Buddha knows all phenomenal things. So what is, it, what actually appears to an omniscient mind? And Tsongkhapa makes a distinction between mere conventionalities, kunzopa, from kunzopdemba, from mere conventionalities to conventional truths. And Tsongkhapa says mere conventionalities is what appears to a Buddha knows all phenomenon omnisciently, not conventional truths. Because conventional truths are what is emanated by a limited mind with an appearance of truly established existence. So this mere conventionality, again, can be accurate or inaccurate depending on conventions. And because mere conventionalities don't appear to be truly established, Buddha can, the omniscient awareness, which is focused on voidness, 
can also know mere conventionalities simultaneously. It can also appear. Buddha is always focused on the voidness of it. So this is quite unique in uh, Tsongkhapa's presentation, quite difficult to uh, understand. And if we are looking to uh, discover a unified theory that enables us to uh, say that all the traditions, the explanation of all the Tibetan traditions comes to the same point, then we can assert like I, what I will explain. Sakya speaks about inseparable samsara and nirvana. Kargyu speaks about inseparable uh, voidness and appearance, inseparable voidness and deep awareness, inseparable deep awareness and appearance. And uh, Nyingma Dzogchen speaks about uh, Rikpa as, as being katok, pure from the, from the start, primo, primarily pure, and hlundup, it spontaneously establishes appearances. So each of the Tibetan traditions has its own way of explaining and formulating how a Buddha being focused only on voidness has simultaneously appearances, you know, simultaneously omnisciently knows all appearances, but without it being an appearance of truly established existence. But one needs to really be careful because each of these ways of formulating it can be misunderstood. So the non, you know, the, the people who debated against Tsongkhapa, who just freaked out at uh, Tsongkhapa's assertion, was saying that uh, your assertion of mere conventionalities amounts to the absolutist position that things are, they are self-established out there. And Tsongkhapa says, no, we're not talking about a screen. You have to differentiate how it appears to be, how to, what it appears to be and how it appears to exist. And that from mere appearance, mere conventionality. And Tsongkhapa says, you know, you other guys, you know, the, the predecessors, you know, by not accepting this explanation of mere conventionalities, that you fall to the extreme of nihilism, that you're denying anything that's conventional. We have to differentiate mere conventionality, in other words, what it appears to be, from conventional truth, that it appears to be truly existent. So that brings us to the end of our presentation of what are the unique points of Tsongkhapa's view of the four tenets in general and specifically of Prasangika, which obviously is an enormous amount of uh, material, all of which is, is difficult to understand. But uh, at least, I hope, I hope that at least what you take away from this is uh, uh, what are the issues that they're talking about? And to understand that actually it, it really is relevant to our uh, ordinary experience. So even though, you know, uh, something might appear to be, you know, a self-established horrible problem, and we know that it doesn't exist as that from its own side, self-established as a horrible problem, still we need to differentiate conventionally, is it a problem or not a problem? And if there's no, you know, if one isn't, you know, if you can't differentiate that one is accurate and one is not accurate, you know, that it is 
not accurate to say there's no problem here. It's accurate that there is a problem in our office and I have to deal with it. If you can't make that differentiation, then it's hopeless. You're not going to do anything. So we deal, we deal with the conventionality that there's a problem there without making it into you know, a big deal out of it, you know, this horrible problem. And by refuting that uh, it exists as a truly established horrible problem, we are not over-refuting and saying there's no problem. Okay? And we're not saying that actually there's a blank screen there and we're just projecting it onto it that it's a, a problem. And so we just that? stop projecting it and there's no problem. Now, all of this is actually really quite practical if you take the time and effort to work with it. Analytical meditation, apply it, think how, what Buddha only taught to benefit us, to help to overcome suffering. So there must be an application of absolutely everything that Buddha taught, a practical application. So that is the work of Dharma study and practice to figure it out. And usually teachers won't spoon feed it to you. It's my fault. I tend to spoon feed it a little bit to you. It's still quite tough. <laughs> so even if I or some other teachers spoon feed a little bit to you, you still have to chew on it, and you have to feed yourself some more spoonfuls. So let's end with the dedication. I think whatever understanding, whatever positive forces come from this may go deeper and deeper and act as a cause for all beings to attain the enlightened state of a Buddha, not just me, all beings, you know, we dedicate it like Shantideva. May all beings attain the enlightened state of a Buddha for the benefit of all. Thank you very much. What did you say? Uh, I, I just mentioned that uh, there are two more articles. Uh, one, this one actually, the edited version, I guess, that needs to be translated and that we want to uh, somehow share so that everyone can get this material in a translated form. And that besides that, you have also written one more article with all the scheme how to meditate. Right. Mind you, what we want to share with you is the link so that you read it on the website. We do not want to share with you printed out versions of the articles, please. And there are several reasons for that besides you know, wanting to increase the ranking of the website. The main reason is that I'm revising these all the time and uh, getting the uh, way of formulating it more and more precise. So anything that you're handed out now becomes a static document and it can't be changed. So that's not the way to read the material on the website. Uh, read it online because I change things, you know. In these articles that uh, were translated, perhaps I said, I think I said, Imputed phenomenon. Well, that implies that, that somebody imputes it. So I want to change all of that to an imputation. So that'll all be changed. So then I send the track changes version to him, and he changes it in the Russian, and that gets changed on the website. So it is an organic, constantly, you know, hopefully improving process. That's the advantage of a website over a book. 
which means that you have to read it over and over again, which is the only way to understand it.